Welcome back to It's Haunted, What Now? I'm your host, Lainey. This episode has some really long stories in it, and since you've been so patient with the release of episodes, I thought I would treat you to an episode that is a little longer than usual. Okay, ready to get spooked? Destiny submitted her story that covers a two-year time span. Now, the second I saw Old Farmhouse in her email, I just knew you had to hear it too. When I was in third grade, my mom, myself, and my brother moved into an old farmhouse built in the early to mid-1800s. It was in our small hometown where nothing strange ever happened, really. This house was situated by a cemetery and church, which my friends thought was creepy and they even found the house to look creepy, but it was much larger than any other house we had ever lived in, so we liked it. The house was accompanied with four or five almost dilapidated outhouses and a very large barn. These outhouses contained some weird finds, but it was always fun to explore as a kid. I found old, and I do mean old, tools. Some glass jars, among other things that I can't seem to recall now, but I remember the feeling of just being creeped out by the little sheds and my findings. I remember feeling so strange in that house and on the property altogether. I always felt like something was watching me and I never felt alone. I absolutely hated the upstairs of the house, which is where all of our rooms were. My room was the largest room and it was also the creepiest. You never wanted to be in there, especially alone. My mom would always reassure me that it was just because it was a new house and I wasn't used to it yet, coupled with it being old. I had forced myself to sleep in my room because it was the first time I ever had my very own room and my own space. My mom was a single parent and my dad was never involved and never financially aided us, so we always lived in little apartments or trailers. Anyway... When I would go to bed in my room, I would position myself in the middle of my bed every night because I felt like something would just reach up from under the bed and grab me or something. I know, I know, it's a normal childhood fear, right? Well, anyway, every single night, I would wake up at 3.15 every morning, no matter what, 3.15. Sometimes I would hear noises that would wake me up, but I had always just chalked it up to still being partially asleep and it just being in my head. Well, after several days of this beginning, I was exhausted. I hated waking up to go to school, which I normally would not have minded, and I was always in a bad mood, always tired. So finally, my mom asked what was going on with me, and I told her every early morning, I would wake up at 3.15 and was scared to go back to sleep. My mom didn't share this until later, but she would wake up either at 3.15 or 3.33. Not too long after that, my brother started sleeping in my mom's bed, he was four, and kept telling her someone was in his room and would wake him up in the middle of the night by calling out his name and messing with his toys. His fire truck toy would go off all the time by itself, which wasn't uncommon because all of our toys did. 
shortly after he moved into her room, she started experiencing more things as well. Things would go missing. Her unplugged blow dryer would start going off. I also started experiencing more things at this time as well. I had a Furby, and it would constantly start talking and blinking its eyes. I told my mom about it, and she told me the batteries must be dying. So she took them out and said she would buy more. While the batteries were out, the Furby started talking in the low, growling-type voice. I was absolutely horrified. I told my mom I didn't want to sleep in my room anymore, so I joined her and my brother in her bed. The activity in her room began to pick up and the activity upstairs, in general, was out of control. Doors would close, so we started shutting all the bedroom doors, which didn't help too much. We would all wake up at the same time. I started having nightmares. My brother would talk about a scary man in the corner. We would hear footsteps going from my room to my brother's. All kinds of crazy stuff. So we abandoned our rooms and started sleeping downstairs. There were two living area spaces. One was our game room where we had our PlayStation and movies and whatnot, and we had a futon that myself and my brother slept on, while my mom slept just 10 feet away in the other living room on the couch. My brother and myself were scared to sleep in the dark, and later we found out my mom was also scared. So we left the bathroom light on, which was in the room where we slept at that point. In the bathroom, there was a tub. There was no shower because, like I said, it was built in the 1800s, and I'm guessing that no one took the time to remodel it. One night, while we were sleeping, the water started running in the tub. I was the only one that woke up to it. I called out for my mom, but she didn't hear me. So I told myself that I had to get up and turn it off and just run back to bed and everything would be fine. So I counted to three and jumped out of bed and go to the bathroom, turned off the water, and the lights flickered and shut off while I was there. I screamed as loud as I could and ran back to the fold-out bed, jumped in and got under the covers. No one ever woke up which was odd because my mom and my brother were slash are both extremely light sleepers. But who knows, maybe they were just extremely tired. The next day when I got up, the lights were still off and my mom asked if I had shut them off because maybe they bothered me at night. And I told her the whole story. She listened attentively, never tried to make me feel like those things didn't happen and she even told me that there must be a spirit in the house, but not to be afraid. My mom definitely believed in the paranormal, and at that age, even I did as well. We used to watch Ghost Hunters and other paranormal shows, so it wasn't a new idea for us. During the day, I would force myself to play in my room because it was light out, and I wanted to be sure the ghost knew that I wasn't afraid, or at least I was hoping to trick it into believing that. One day... I was playing up there and I had decided that I wanted to bring down a box of toys. For some reason, I had high anxiety that day while I was up there, so I hurried up and got my box together and headed for the stairs. As I made it down three steps, I distinctly felt hands on my back, and then I was shoved and went tumbling down the stairs. We had two doors at the bottom of the steps that led out, one to the dining area and one to the living room. I smacked into the door so hard after tumbling and I was terrified. I tried to get out. I swore I left the dining room door open, 
but the door was closed and locked. The only way to lock and unlock those doors was with a skeleton key, so I knew something was wrong. I was banging on both doors trying to get out, and my mom was yelling from the other side, telling me to hold on, and she would find the key, which usually was hanging by the door in the kitchen. It wasn't there, so she began pulling on the door and she told me to try and kick it open. And you know those old houses made of real wood and sturdy locks, you're not breaking that door down. After what felt like an eternity, I wasn't scared, I was pissed. So I yelled at whatever was causing this and I said, let me out of this stairway right now. I'm not scared of you, let me out. And the door just unlocked and I was set free. I never went upstairs again after that. My mom ended up finding the skeleton key on the floor of the bathroom, which was nowhere near the kitchen, and locked the doors to the upstairs, so we were confined to the downstairs. After these events, my mom became unnerved. We all were on edge all the time, afraid of what would come next. As the time went on, nothing had happened for a few weeks. We thought that whatever it was finally decided to leave us alone. Then, small things started happening. Little items would go missing. Our TV would turn on by itself. Occasionally, little things would be moved from one room to another. Not horrifying things. Compared to what we had been through, this was acceptable. We could live with these things. But then, one night when my brother and I were sleeping... I kept feeling tickles on my face. I was partially asleep, so I would rub my face and go back to sleep. But then, I felt several on my face, and I heard the buzzing in my ear. And I woke up to literally, not hundreds, but thousands of ladybugs in our room. They were all over us, all over the blankets, the walls, the floor. They were everywhere. But they were only in that room. Not the bathroom, not the living room my mom slept in, just that one room. Mind you, I woke up to this at 3.15 a.m. So my mom closed off that room, and we all slept in the living room with her. She slept on the floor and myself and my brother shared the couch. The next day, they were nowhere to be found. Literally, not one single ladybug was in that room, or anywhere else in the house. At that point, we didn't know what to do. I wanted to move, as did my brother, but my mom didn't have the money to move and we would pay the same amount of rent for a two-bedroom apartment as we would for this house. So we just dealt with it as everything came. The next few weeks were quiet and then one night, while we were all asleep, I woke up to my mom shaking me and my brother, whispering, Wake up, wake up, there's someone in the house. We have to get out. I heard loud stomps upstairs. It wasn't just something walking. It sounded like someone had on heavy boots and was stomping on the floor above us, going from room to room. My brother and I quietly but quickly got up and ran out of the house, out to the car, and my mom locked the car doors and was panicking, looking around. And when I asked what was wrong, she turned around and said, we're going to have to get out and run to the pastor's house. My keys and phone are on the dining room table. The pastor's house wasn't far, just a two-minute run as he was only a house away. We all counted to three, 
and jumped out of the car onto the gravel driveway barefoot and ran as fast as we could to the road and down to the pastor's house. There, we called the cops and my grandparents. My grandparents came to pick up my brother and I while my mom stayed to talk to the police. They searched the home and nothing was found. Nothing was out of place. There was no sign of an entry as every single door was locked still. The windows were shut and there was no way upstairs from the outside unless you had a 10-foot ladder and could open those old windows without plummeting to the ground. After this, we stayed in the house but my mom started looking for roommates. A few weeks later, my uncle moved in with us. Nothing strange had been going on. Everything seemed quiet for the most part. You still had that sense that something or someone was there, but that was common. The air was still heavy and we were all just waiting for the next event. My mom, myself, and my brother still slept downstairs and my uncle, who was skeptical, took my mom's bedroom. Anything that happened, he wrote it off until it became something he couldn't ignore anymore. He would wake up hearing his name called, and one night, as he was drifting off to sleep, he heard someone yell, Get out! And he still just said it was nothing. He said he was in between sleep and not sleep, and it must have been a dream or something. I guess him not giving credit to the ghost or whatever was there pissed it off even more, so things started to pick up. One day, I came home from school and my uncle was fixing a leak in the bathroom. I said, hello, and went to get an after-school snack. Every single drawer and cabinet, even the freezer and fridge were opened. I called him in there and asked why he did that and if he was trying to scare me. He said he didn't do that and asked if I was playing a prank on him. I swore I wasn't and just shut all the cabinets and went to play video games. I sat on the couch and grabbed the remote to turn on the TV and the remote wouldn't work. So I got up and went to manually turn on the TV. And as I was walking away, I saw a figure standing in the doorway. I turned around and no one was there. So I called out to my uncle, but he didn't respond. I turned back to the TV and saw the reflection again. Only this time, it was closer to me. So I turned around once again, no one was there. So I ran out of the house and found my uncle in the shed looking for tools. I told him what had happened and he just said it was a trick of the light. I had known better by that than then, so I just let it go. Later, we all had left to go have dinner at my grandma's house. When we came back, every single one of my uncle's tools he was using in the bathroom was spread out across the house. And he joked at first and asked who my mom had come over to do this and she replied, No one. I told you this place was haunted. And that's when my uncle started to be more open to the idea. Little things happened here and there throughout the fall, but really came to life in the winter. My uncle's girlfriend and my aunt had come over to help decorate for Christmas. As they were decorating, they kept hearing something downstairs, like something scraping the floor and a sound that they described as a plastic bag crumpling. This went on for a little over 10 minutes and they just kept decorating and ignored it. My grandma came over late that night and didn't want to come in the house. She told my mom that there was something on the property that we shouldn't take lightly. My grandma is Native American and she is very in tune with everything. 
She did a blessing on the outside of the house, and even though she was still uncomfortable, she came in because she wanted to know if we would be safe. So she came in, and you could tell that she was taken aback by the amount of negative energy that was in the house. She walked through and told us that there was a very strong negative energy and kept saying she felt like there was a nice, innocent, childlike energy that was being masked by the negative. She walked in the living room and said, I didn't know Trevor was here. Come here, Trevor, and see your nanny. I missed you. And I said, Nanny, Trevor isn't here. And she replied, Yes, he is. I just saw his reflection in the TV. And after being reassured that he was not there, she realized that it was a spirit of a little boy who also resided in the home. She said he hadn't realized he had passed on and said that she sensed like he was trying to hide things and enjoyed playing with our toys. She had sensed the negative energy as well and told us she didn't know if it was demonic or if it was just an extremely negative spirit, but that he didn't want us there at all. After this, my mom contacted some local paranormal investigators to see if they could catch anything on tape. This was back in the day when you had huge video records and you would have to buy little VHS tapes for them. And we still have these tapes. A few things happened before the ghost hunters arrived. The usually moving of items and whatnot. Nothing out of the ordinary. There was one instance where one of the jingle bell doorknob things had been pulled apart and all the balls were taken out and closed again. We don't know what happened to the balls and we tried to recreate it with another and there was no way any of us were able to pull apart seven of the bells and pull out the balls. When the ghost hunters came, they set up cameras in all of the rooms and investigated. They caught a ton of activity, especially in my old bedroom. I had a computer in there and you could hear the keyboard clicking away. Thinking back, we should have left it on and pulled up a Word document. They caught voices, toys going off, my dresser drawers opening and closing, as well as items being thrown out of my dresser. In my room, there was so many orbs that it looked like there was a disco ball in my room. The curtains moved and there was no air vent or anything that would have caused this. There were footsteps caught, growls, other odd noises, the cameras being moved, lights turning on and off. I mean, a whole array of activity. After reviewing the video, my mom decided that it was time for us to leave. My uncle and his girlfriend lived there until the lease was up and then they moved out as well. I still pass that house frequently and I wonder if whatever it was is still there. I wouldn't imagine that it is because whoever has lived in it has lived there for at least the last 10 years and we could barely deal with the activity for two years. Maybe they don't mind the activity or maybe it's gone, who knows? All I know is that if they ever move out, I'm going back to investigate. Destiny, you are on your own if you go back to investigate. Furbies are of the devil and it's no surprise that one came to life. I swear they are conduits. Man, what a story. Thank you for sharing. Jack tells us about an experience that happened back in 2002 that will send goosebumps through our entire body. Oh boy.
I purchased a new home in Fergus, Ontario in 1996, and everything was normal for the first five years. Then we decided to sell the home in July of 2002. Just one week to the day of closing the sale of the property, Fergus was hit by a huge thunderstorm, and our home, along with many in the area, was struck by lightning. This was a direct hit on our home. We then moved the following Friday to a home in Bellwood, Ontario. After a very long day of moving, I get up Saturday morning and make myself a coffee and decided to walk the property and went into the barn. And all of a sudden, I stop in my tracks just inside the doorway of the barn. I have no clue as to why I felt very uncomfortable in the barn, but I back myself out of this barn, walking backwards and saying to myself, what the hell was that? My body was covered in goosebumps and I suddenly was cold from my head to my toes. Well, that evening at approximately 9.45 p.m. without warning of a storm, we were struck by lightning again. This was one week to the day that we were hit by lightning in our other home in Fergus, Ontario. This was the beginning of what has changed my entire life, and I will never forget it as long as I live. It all began that night at approximately 3 a.m. I was woken from banging in the basement. I immediately jumped out of bed and grabbed a baseball bat and went to the basement to investigate what the banging was. I looked out to make sure all the windows were locked and after checking the entire basement, I came up empty-handed. This was only the beginning of my experiences. This banging continued and I started to hear footsteps coming down the hallway and when I opened the bedroom door, nothing was there. I started to feel that something was there in the house but didn't want to accept that this was happening to me. The banging in the basement got louder and some light would go on without me turning them on. The furnace would go on without the thermostat being off. There is so much to tell you about my experiences that I could write an entire book. I didn't want to tell my wife what was happening because I didn't want her to think that I was nuts. After dealing with this for approximately three weeks alone, I decided to tell my wife and sure enough she asked me, Jack, are you okay? I replied to her, I am perfectly fine. So I decided to ask her when she gets home from work at 2am, don't plan on going to sleep as I will show you what I have been dealing with. My wife gets home at 2am and I asked her to just lay in bed and don't make any noise, just listen. This was when I told her at 3.02am, you will hear banging really loud coming from the basement. Well, sure enough, the banging happened and she looked at me and said, what the heck was that? My response was, that was nothing. Just wait as you will hear footsteps coming down the hallway now. Well, again, I was correct and the footsteps came down the hallway and immediately after she heard the footsteps, I got out of bed and opened the bedroom door and said to my wife, nothing is here. My wife responded by saying that was one of our sons that was walking down the hallway. I said to her, look at our sons. They are still sleeping in the same position that they were in before. Their ages were five and seven and the footsteps sounded like a much heavier person. Then I asked my wife to return to our bedroom as it gets better. She asked me, what do you mean? I responded, 
Just come in the bedroom and you will see what I mean. I told her what you will hear this time is someone walking down the hallway, and then you will hear and see the door handle on the bedroom door wiggle. She looked at me and said, You are nuts. Well, she went along with me and sure enough, the footsteps started coming down the hallway and then the door handle wiggled. The moment I saw the look on her face, she confirmed that I was not going crazy and that this was really happening to me. I immediately jumped out of bed and opened the door, running down the hallway screaming, Get the F out of my house! Then all of a sudden, I came to the top of the stairs that led down to the basement and heard this huge bang and crash that sounded like an explosion. It stopped me dead in my tracks, with my wife banging right in the back of me as she was running behind me. She looked at me with the biggest, scariest look in her eyes and said, What the F was that? I looked at her and said, I don't know, but I'm going to find out. I then went down to the stairs to the basement to look, and what I saw was my son's toys were covered from one end of the basement to the other end. It looked like an explosion as my son's toys were everywhere. This story has much more detail, and I would love to share my experiences with you. Jack and other listeners, please do not shorten your stories. Send them all to me. I must have them. You were right. This story did send goosebumps through my body, which makes me really glad I didn't read the next story. Michael of the Murder Mile Walks and the Murder Mile Podcast was gracious enough to lend his voice to Andrew Dexter's story. Stay tuned to the end of the episode to hear a trailer for his podcast. My family and I lived in a large property called Gladstone Villa in the former mining town of Bagoid in the Carfilly County Borough of the South Wales Valleys in the UK. From 1969 to 1978, we experienced activity that simply defied rational explanation, such as lights going off and on. We witnessed electrical cables being pulled, and my grandfather, Bill, claimed to have had a glass bottle thrown towards him as he entered the main bedroom, missing him by inches. I didn't personally see this myself, but I recall the time he came there with a glass bottle in his hand and told us what had happened. There was the occasional sighting, but this was very rare indeed, so rare that in all the nine years I was there, I never once saw it but I did hear it many times in the bedroom. It's still worth mentioning that my mother, Caroline, saw it on at least two occasions. There were also regular footsteps heard in the main bedroom every evening. Sometimes, during the day, when we'd be downstairs watching the TV, one of us would turn the volume down to hear it more clearly, and my grandfather Bill would point to the ceiling and say, he's by there, and he's by there now, trying to make out where the footsteps were coming from. There were five members of the family that were living in Gladstone Villa. 
my maternal grandfather, William Higgs, known as Bill to his family and friends, a retired miner who worked at the local colliery. He was a short, bald man who liked nothing more than to listen to his country and western LPs, Johnny Cash and Glenn Campbell and so on. He also liked westerns on the TV, like John Wayne and Clint Eastwood. My maternal grandmother was Rita Higgs. She was a short woman who was a housewife. She was completely teetotal, but she liked to smoke. She also liked collecting garden gnomes and liked watching soap operas on the TV. My mother, Caroline Dexter, met my father at the local bakehouse in Baldwin Street. She worked the day shift regularly, and my father worked the night shift. He would stay behind to make her a cup of tea and to chat. They dated for three years before they got married on Monday the 1st of April 1968. The Beatles were number one with Lady Madonna, very apt. They did not get a place of their own, but they decided to live with my grandparents at Gladstone Villas, which was on the Cardiff Road. I was born on the 24th of August 1969, when everyone was listening to the latest number one in the charts, Honky Tonk Woman by the Roaring Stones. It was soon after that that my mother said that strange things started to happen. I was just a baby when she said it all started off rather quietly, like tapping here and there, but nothing too noticeable. But in time, the activity gradually increased. One time, my mother said that the family heard a noise, a noise like someone jumping down from the attic and onto the landing. Naturally, thinking that someone was trying to break in, they went to see what was going on. When they got there, they found nobody there. But the hatch to the attic was open. Whatever it was, eventually occupied itself in the main bedroom, which incidentally was my grandparents' bedroom. It soon made its presence felt by walking around the bedroom and the sounds of dragging could be heard. One day, my mother went upstairs to that bedroom to get my father up for work so he could get ready for the night shift. When she got there, she was confronted by the sight of an ironing board placed on my father's torso as he slept. When he awoke, he was astounded to find the situation he was in. He suspected my grandfather Bill was playing pranks. But in time, he knew my grandfather was not responsible for it. And he told his work friends what was going on there. And it got around town, the Gladstone Villa was haunted. My parents separated in 1972 and my father left Gladstone Villa. But it wasn't because of what was going on at Gladstone Villas. It was just a breakdown in the marriage. They finally divorced on the 25th of April 1975. The British band, the Bay City Rollers, were number one in the charts with Bye Bye Baby. Again, very apt. It would have been amusing, but for the fact of what was going on there. I was barely two years old, so I have no memory of my father living at Gladstone Villa, but he would come to see me every Saturday 
to take me to see my paternal grandparents and to the local cinema. Great times, even though the paranormal activity still continued. As I got older, I too witnessed the activity myself. I saw the poltergeist activity for myself. I saw the electrical cables being pulled by unseen forces. I saw the lights going off and on. And when my grandfather, Bill, would play records on the Sunday, as the family did the dinner, it would turn the music off. It took exception to the British band Slade and any religious TV shows that my grandmother, Rita, would watch. The local police were involved. I remember them popping their heads into the attic, hesitating and not going in, but they suggested it was my father playing a prank on the family. A family friend, Mrs. Ivy France, as she was more of a friend to my grandmother, Rita, she was very skeptical when my grandmother told her the Gladstone Villa was haunted. I can still remember Ivy going into the main bedroom, looking around, and saying it was the vibration of the traffic outside causing it. But she was soon to change her mind when she experienced it for herself. It was then that she suggested the local press and a medium. The medium was John Matthews, and when he came to Gladstone Villa, he started by asking the family questions. He then began by challenging the spirit to perform by knocking on the ceiling. And sure enough, it responded by knocking back at him. At some point, John went into a trance, trying to make contact with it, but he failed to get a name. He later confirmed the obvious, that there was indeed a presence there, and it was an earthbound spirit and that it had unfinished business. A priest by the name of Graham Jones was called to Gladstone Villas. He blessed the property. He said a few prayers and he duly left and it was quiet for a few short months after that. No incidents, but it did return and with a vengeance as this time it decided to show itself. One evening, my grandfather Bill, my mother Caroline and I were watching television. My grandmother Rita was reading a book, when all of a sudden my mother just so happened to look to the left and she saw the full solid figure of a monk standing by the doorway. We did not see this as we were otherwise occupied, but she later described it in detail as a monk in a typical brown habit complete with a hood over his head, so she didn't see his face. It sounded very much like a 16th century Benedictine monk. Fred Davies was a friend of my grandfather Bill. They worked together at the local colliery, and he would visit most evenings. Fred was a slim man who would wear a flat cap and glasses and smoked homemade cigarettes that hung from his lips as he spoke. He would sit in his favourite chair by the open fire and would talk to the family and watch TV with us. One day, Fred was with us in his usual place by the open fire. I was quietly playing with my toys by the sideboard. 
it was quiet. When all of a sudden, there was a very loud bang. It was so loud that Fred ducked his head, and I ran to my mother for comfort. When it was quiet, we all went upstairs. My grandfather, Bill, would always be the first, and I would be the last. When we got to that bedroom, we found nothing that could account for the noise. Fred later told us that he ducked his head as he thought it was going to come through the ceiling. Fred told us of another experience he had at Gladstone Villa. My grandfather Bill liked to look out of the landing window that overlooked Cardiff Road and into Bagoid Town Centre. This time, Fred joined him. He said he felt something brush past him. But when he looked, there was nothing there. The most frightening experience I had was when I was alone in that particular bedroom. I made sure that the light was on. It was very quiet. I was lying on the bed, facing the window that overlooked Cardiff Road, when I suddenly felt something heavy pounce on the bottom of the bed. I heard the bed springs go, just once, and I felt the bed bounce. I didn't look straight away, but when I did, there was nothing there. I went down the stairs to tell my family, and we all went back up. We saw distinctive paw marks on the bed, like that of an animal. I later found out that my grandfather, Bill, had a black Labrador dog called Tovi, who died before I was born. My grandfather, Bill, and my mother, Caroline, claimed to have heard a baby crying. But as I didn't hear that at the time, I took very little notice of what was said. The activity got so bad that my mother, grandmother and I slept downstairs with the lights on. It was only my grandfather, Bill, who was supposedly brave enough to sleep there. It was then that he himself had yet another experience. He told us that he was lying on the bed, when all of a sudden he couldn't move. He couldn't even shout out to us to help him. This could well have been sleep paralysis but he said he heard something in that room with him. My grandmother Rita had her own experience. One day, she went upstairs into that room to get my grandfather up, when she saw the boiler door open wide by itself. She didn't stay there to see what it was, but she rushed out of that room. Another occasion, she said she had the sensation of something pulling her from under her foot, like she had stepped on his gown. We had a ghost for so long that my grandmother Rita gave it a pet name. She called it Johnny, and my grandfather Bill would shout out that name to provoke a reaction, but nothing would happen. Ivy Francis's son Charlie got to hear about what was going on at Gladstone Villa and he came along with some friends, and with my family's permission, they went into the bedroom. It frightened one of his friends, and to this day, one of his friends still says it was a spooky place. My mother, Caroline, had an operation on her toe, and ended up on crutches to support her. 
The local nurse would tender her foot. My mother was sat on the chair when the nurse came this day, and as the nurse knelt down to tender her, she told my mother not to hold her. My mother looked at Grandmother Rita in amazement, as she was not holding the nurse at all. My mother made her own conclusions that it was Johnny, the ghost, that was holding her so as not for the nurse to hurt her. The only time I heard the ghost being vocal was a time we were all in the room. One of us wanted to use the bathroom and we couldn't get in there. My grandfather, Bill, said, He's behind there. I heard quite distinctly the sound of Gregorian chant and that it was nothing more. We left in the summer of 1978 and two local businessmen bought the property and Gladstone Villa was eventually converted into a small hotel and its name changed to Reds Park Hotel. On the night before we moved, there was one final incident we experienced as if it knew we were going, and that was its way of saying goodbye. My mother, grandmother and I got ready to go to sleep. The light was still on, and then we heard the doorknob turning, as if someone was trying to get in. At first, I naturally suspected my grandfather Bill, as he was the only one who slept upstairs in that room, and we thought it may have been him playing a prank. I called out to him, but there was no answer. No laugh that would give him away. We then heard our belongings, that we'd packed in the hallway, being thrown around. The next day, we asked my grandfather Bill if it was him playing a joke. He insisted it wasn't. And to this very day, I believe him. I had my 40th birthday at the Reds Park Hotel in August 2009, for all time's sake. And it was the female staff that told me about the ghost, and I told them about what had happened there 30 years before. The staff told me of their own personal experiences, lights going off and on, the odd sighting in room 5, a bride in white was seen, and again, as with claims of a baby crying, that made no sense at all. I did a thorough research of the property and the Cardiff Road area, and I found some very interesting things indeed. I found out from the Bargoyed Library and the local newspaper archives that Gladstone Villas dated back to 1900, and it was named after the former British Prime Minister, William Gladstone. I discovered the previous people that lived there, the Kimlet family in 1924, the newly married couple Michael and Evelyn Kimlet, and a son named Elvin Kimlet. He died at the property, just four months old, according to the archives of the Cardiff newspaper, the Western Mail. This explained the baby that my mother and grandmother had heard in the bedroom. Mrs. Evelyn Kimlet died in 1970, soon after I was born. Maybe this is why all the activity started. I also found that there was a monastery in Baldwin Street where my parents met and worked. And there is a property directly opposite the former Gladstone Villa property in Gladstone Road 
dating back to the 16th century. It is now called the Rafa Club. A priest's hide is said to be there, but it is sealed up. This explains the monk that my mother saw. What I have said here is true. I wouldn't share this if I couldn't possibly back this up, and I have used real names as I have nothing to hide, and all I have said can be verified by the family of those I have mentioned. Sadly, some of the people I have mentioned are no longer with us. I challenge any hardened skeptic and firm non-believer, and I can assure them that they will indeed most certainly question their belief system. Of this, I have no doubt at all whatsoever. In fact, I am 100% positive. You may Google this property. It is still there in Cardiff Road, Bargoed, Wales, in the UK, very near Caffili and Cardiff. This place needs to be thoroughly investigated, and it is well worth documenting. I am quite serious about this, and very sincere. Wow, I am always amazed that these houses exist. I hope to never live in one, but I wouldn't mind visiting one if I ever got the chance to. Of course, I'd need to bring a protection crystal or something with me. You know, I never really realized what was weird about reading these stories, and that is that my dog always just sits outside of my office and never comes in. You think he's trying to tell me something? Okay, well that wraps up this episode. If you'd like to submit your own personal spooky tale to be read on the show, head to hauntedpod.com and click on the link to submit your story. You can also email me at hauntedpod at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a positive review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast player of choice. It really does help us out. You can find us on Twitter at podcast underscore haunted, at hauntedpod.com, or on Instagram at it's haunted what now. Audio engineering was provided by Ches Gray, who manages Gray Multimedia. The official composer for the show is Nico at We Talk of Dreams. Check him out on Twitter at We Talk of Dreams or WeTalkOfDreams.com. Until next time. Did you hear that? If you're looking for something different, Murder Mile covers the untold, unsolved, and long-forgotten murders in London's West End. It's researched using the original police investigation files. It's presented as a dramatization, and it focuses on the victims' lives in an honest, detailed, and sympathetic way. Murder Mile is about life, not lunatics. So if you love true crime stories about real murders by regular people in everyday places, then Murder Mile is just for you. Murder Mile was nominated one of the best British true crime podcasts of 2018. So if you love things a little bit different, try Murder Mile.